Over on our Patreon, Beck Stranger and I were challenged to each write a story based on the same photograph, and they both had to be about aliens. Head on over to our Instagram to see the photo. And this is the second episode response to that challenge. This one was written by Courtney Eck. that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. My immediate thought, when something hit the window of the bedroom, was that some poor bird had collided headfirst into the glass and was lying, stunned or maybe dead, on the lawn below. That was followed by the realisation that the sound had woken me from a dead sleep, as it was the middle of the night, and while it was technically possible for a bird to fly into a window at that hour, it was highly unlikely. My third and most urgent thought was that it must have been ill-intentioned teens who had thrown something at my second-floor window, knowing someone was likely sleeping on the other side. This thought drove me from my bed and to the window, which I threw open and leaned through, hoping for a fleeting chance to give them a piece of my mind. But the coast was clear. I leaned out further to survey the lawns and narrow streets that surrounded my house, then strained my ears for any signs of juvenile delinquents in retreat, but the only sound was the low growl of an engine starting up in the distance. I gave my own lawn one last look in case I had missed a wounded bird in need of my help, then closed the window to study it for any sign of damage. There were no cracks or chips on a long pane of glass. But as I shifted from one side to the other, my neighbor's safety light illuminated a small streak at about hip height, so I crouched down to get a better look. The mark looked remarkably like a child's handprint, if the kid who had left it was missing their thumb and had fingers and a palm that were double the average size. There were hazy trails extending from the ends of each digit, as if the disfigured child had planted their hand on my window and then dragged it down a couple of inches. I pulled the edge of my sleeve over my hand to wipe it away, assuming my niece had left it at some point. But it was still perfectly intact when I pulled my hand back. I yanked the window open wide enough to snake my arm through until my palm was parallel with my face on the other side. I awkwardly swiped at the print, and it smeared under my touch, deepening the mystery of what had struck my window. I studied it from multiple angles, and concluded that a bird must have attempted, and failed, to land on the sill outside, and had created the strange print as it struggled to maintain its balance before flying off and waking me up in the process. Satisfied with my hypothesis... I pushed aside the image of a disfigured toddler hovering outside my second-story window as I closed it and stuffed myself back in bed to salvage what was left of the night's sleep. 
I woke up in a pool of my own sweat as the sun through the window cooked me under the winter weight comforter I'd recently swapped for the summer version. The area where I live tends to get a freak 70 degree day or two in November, just before the world becomes a nightmare of snow and ice. And I was excited to knock out some yard work I'd thought would have to wait until spring. I also wasn't in the mood to make a trip to the gym, so was happy to substitute leg day with some fresh air and manual labor. After a breakfast of eggs and black coffee, I dug through my closet to retrieve one of the t-shirts I'd shifted to the back when the weather had started to change, then headed out into the last heat of the season. It wasn't until I was stabilizing some paving stones that had come loose under my bedroom window that I remembered the disturbance the night before. I sat down the shovel I'd been using to shift the dirt under the stones and took several steps back to survey the space around the window. I could just barely see the streak on the glass from where I stood on the lawn below and noticed a couple more odd smudges on the siding around it. I strained to make them out from where I stood, but the angle was too awkward to get a clear look, so I retrieved a ladder from the other side of the house so I could study them close. The prints on the siding looked just like the mark on the glass, like a long thin palm with four lengthy fingers extending from the top, but were all slightly different sizes, ranging from around three to five inches from top to bottom. I wondered again if some neighborhood kids were messing with me, but quickly resolved that it was a pretty weak prank, if that were the case. Hey, Nick! I gripped the edges of the ladder as my neighbor Terry's voice bounced up the rungs to assault me at the top. Terry was as kind and well-meaning as they come, but something about his abundant cheer made me want to smash things. And I suppressed my inappropriately violent reaction to the lovely man as I descended the ladder. Hi, Terry. How's it going? Couldn't be better. I'm just out here adding brushstrokes of joy to the canvas that is life. Terry made a little flourish with his wrist to help illustrate his greeting, as I resisted the urge to openly retch in his face. What you doing up there? Putting in your storm windows before old man winter comes a-whistling through? Terry and I were the same age, give or take a couple of years, and I was in a constant state of wonder at the old-fashioned statements that came out of his thirty-year-old face. My ex and I had kept a running list for a while, and were constantly trying to come up with Terryisms of our own, but it's hard to manufacture that level of awkwardness. Uh, uh, no, uh, something hit my window last night and left those weird prints everywhere. Freaking possums! Terry's demeanor changed to that of a man about to battle his mortal enemy as his eyes followed my finger to the marks around my bedroom window. Those son of a bums have been making a racket under my gables too. The dang things had my dog, Blossom, fit to be tied last Tuesday. She kept me up whining half the night, and I had to phone the vet for some anti-anxiety meds the next day so she wouldn't develop one of her bacterial infections and leave the Hershey squirts in every corner of the house like she did after I let her stay in the room while I made the mistake of accidentally watching Apocalypse Now after I mistook it for that wonderful Mel Gibson film about the ancient Mayans. As badly as I wanted to ask Terry why he hadn't simply 
turned off the film once he'd realised his mistake, I knew I didn't have it in me to hear whatever dissertation he'd respond with, and so just nodded in agreement as if I too had accidentally subjected myself and my burnadoodle to a three-hour magnum opus on the atrocities of the Vietnam War at some point. Possums, huh? I managed to ask, and looked up at the smattering of prints below my window. I'd never seen a possum's paw up close, but I imagined they would look exactly like the outlines in the dirt on my siding and window, and was suddenly very grateful to Terry for helping me solve the mystery. Yep. My guess is they're planning to use our attics as their winter retreats once the weather turns. Want to split the cost of a professional if I can find someone to come out and trap them? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I agreed, and started the process of retracting my ladder. That's really helpful. Thanks, Terry. I smiled, and allowed myself to enjoy the rare affection I was feeling for my neighbor, until he shattered it by saying, Fingers crossed they're not impossible to trap. <laughs> I gritted my teeth to keep the smile on my face, as Terry turned suddenly serious. We'll just have to be careful not to catch limes. Possums eat an average of 6,000 larval ticks per week, so we might be left with an abundance next spring. Yeah, right. No problem. I picked up the ladder and started to walk it back to the other side of the house as I called over my shoulder, Thanks again, Terry. I hurried around the corner before I could hear whatever corny parting phrase he was shouting as he crossed the street towards his house. But I was grateful that he'd helped me solve the mystery of my nocturnal visitor. I shook off the cloying feeling that lingered after my encounter with Terry and went back to securing the paving stones before the sun dropped too far behind the trees to keep working comfortably. I'd completely forgotten that I'd promised my sister Lynn that my niece, Olivia, could spend the night that night, so she and her husband could attend the reunion tour of some band from the 90s. Luckily, they sent a text as they were packing up to ask if I had oat milk or if they should bring their own, so I had enough time to clean myself and my house to a reasonable degree before they arrived an hour later. Lynn had basically given birth to a female replica of me. And it's wild how much having a niece changed my life. I had no interest in having kids of my own, but when that sarcastic, mischievous, weird little person showed up, I suddenly had an overwhelming urge to get my shit together. I started taking work more seriously. I purchased a home. I set up a college fund for her, and I doubled down on anything that would ensure my little doppelganger would have the best life possible. I loved spending time with the kid, and was thrilled when I got the text that they were on their way. Just as I was pulling a clean t-shirt over my freshly showered chest, I heard their car door slam, followed by Olivia's nine-year-old voice calling from down the hallway. Why did my Uncle Nick bring a ladder to the bar? I paused for a moment to contemplate the answer, then called back, No idea. Because he heard that the drinks were on the house. Her smiling face appeared in the doorway, and I grabbed her into a bear hug. How's my favorite short person? I asked as her backpack fell loose from her shoulder and art supplies skittered across my dining room floor. Oh, are, are we uh, working on college again tonight? Well, she was suddenly serious as she gathered her supplies. 
I've been working on encaustic paintings at home, but mom said it was too messy to bring here, so we're going to practice foreshortening instead. I figured you'd prefer to keep your house free of hot-colored wax. My sister appeared behind Olivia, and we waved at each other from across the room. I've actually been thinking that a coat of tinted wax could really tie the room together. Olivia giggled as Lynn passed me her bag of supplies to keep her child alive and nourished over the next 12 to 15 hours. Have fun at uh, Soul Asylum, I said as she gave Olivia a kiss goodbye. Collective soul, she corrected. Same difference. I shuddered at my sister's questionable taste in music, and she gave me a playful shove that I returned. We'll pick her up around 10 tomorrow? No rush. I said, and slung an arm around Olivia's shoulder. Picasso and I have plenty to keep us busy. Inspiration can't be rushed. Picasso was a misogynist, Olivia interrupted matter-of-factly. And my sister and I exchanged amused looks before she headed back out towards her car to leave. Olivia and I spent the next couple of hours creating mini-masterpieces at my dining room table while she told jokes that were too off-color to be shared with the parents. How is life like toilet paper? Hmm, it's seen a lot of poop, I offered, and she giggled. Close. You're either on a roll or taking crap from someone. Her voice squeaked a little as she shared the punchline, which made us both laugh harder. And I told her one about how a doctor said I needed to provide a stool sample, so I enrolled in a woodworking class, which brought us both to near hysterics. After a rousing session of art and inappropriate jokes, she helped me season some burger meat to surprising perfection to grill for dinner, followed by movies on the couch. I'd been excited to show her the original Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory since the moment she was born, and she'd made me proud by laughing at the best lines, and was as captivated by Gene Wilder's performance as I'd hoped she'd be. We both teared up when he told Charlie that boys who get everything they've ever wanted live happily ever after. And when the movie was over, my heart swelled with pride as she chatted on about her favourite moments. Aside from our sense of humour and general weirdness, we also had early bedtimes in common, so we were both yawning and fighting to stay awake by ten. I hadn't had a chance to blow up the air mattress that she slept on in my office, so I set up her bed while she changed into her pyjamas and brushed her teeth. I glanced around the room as the airbed slowly inflated and something caught my eye in the space between the curtains hanging over the window. I turned off the pump and set it down so I could investigate the window and when I pulled the curtains apart, there was a small crack in the glass like someone had thrown a rock at it. Shit, I muttered to myself and carefully pulled it open so I could stick my head out to inspect the outside of the house. The sulphur glow of the streetlights was just bright enough to illuminate a cluster of prints to the right of the window that were identical to the ones I'd found outside my bedroom window the night before. Those sons of bitches, I said and made a mental note to call Terry the next day to follow up on finding someone to trap the possums that were trying to destroy my house. You sons of bitches. Olivia giggled behind me, and I spun round to find her sleepy-eyed and wobbly in her Minecraft pyjamas. I'm being besieged by possums over here, I announced theatrically and crossed the room to tickle her. The 
bitches have got me surrounded. Her laughter was drowned out by the loud hum of the pump as I turned it back on to finish making her bed for the night. Ten minutes later, she was fully tucked in and slurring as she thanked me for a fun night. I had fun too, kiddo. Love you. I flipped off the light and tucked myself into bed too. I was asleep before my head hit the pillow and slept so soundly I woke up in a panic as the bright light of late morning bounced off every surface of my room. The clock on my nightstand read 9.11am and I was shocked Olivia hadn't woken up already. I listened for sounds of her making breakfast or watching TV as I swung my legs out of bed and threw on some sweats but the house was silent. I bounded down the stairs and called, Good morning, kid, as I burst into the kitchen, expecting to find her preparing eggs or reading at my breakfast table. But the room was empty. I doubled back through my dining and living rooms to see if I'd missed her on the way through, but there was no sign of her. So I headed back upstairs and knocked softly on my office door before pushing it open. Morning, sunshine, I started to say, but my words caught in my throat as I found Olivia sitting on the middle of the bed on the floor, fully clothed and staring silently at the wall in front of her. She turned slowly towards me, and her eyes, which had sparkled with joy and mischief the night before, were so dull and vacant that I wondered for a moment if she could see me. Hey, buddy. The cheer had drained from my voice, and I waited for her to say something in response. Several agonizing seconds later, her lips parted with a wet smack, and she managed the word, Hello. You okay, kid? Took a few steps towards her as she nodded, then turned back to the wall to stare some more. You sure? I crouched down next to her, placed a tentative hand on her knee, and noticed an almost imperceptible flinch, so I removed it and shuffled back a few inches. They just wouldn't stop talking, she said in a low, croaking voice. Who who wouldn't? She turned towards the window and pointed weakly. They wouldn't. She turned to face me and I studied her eyes for any sign of her usual spark, but there was none. I opened my mouth to question her further, but was interrupted by my sister's voice calling from downstairs that she'd arrived to collect Olivia. You going to be okay? I asked as I got to my feet and reached out to help her up. She shrugged and took my hand so I could pull her off of the mattress and help her collect her things. Hey, sweetie, Lynn called as we met her in the kitchen. Olivia barely managed her. Hey. Followed by, bye, Uncle Nick, before she walked past her mother and out the back door. Is everything okay? My sister's eyes filled with worry as she looked to me for an explanation of Olivia's totally uncharacteristic behavior. I, I honestly don't know, I admitted and flipped on my coffee maker. She said that someone was talking outside her window all night, so I don't think she got a lot of sleep. Uh, You know, someone must have been having a party or something. In this neighborhood? My sister gestured to indicate the excessively safe and quiet subdivision I lived in, 
and we both knew there wasn't a chance in hell that my neighbours would let a party rage on all night. I shrugged and attempted to reassure her that we'd had a great time otherwise. Did she love it? She asked after I told her I'd finally showed her Willy Wonka. Of course she did. We shared a smile of appreciation from my amazing niece and hugged goodbye. Text me later to let me know she's okay, yeah? I asked just before I closed the door behind her. I will, she promised. I'm sure she's just tired. It's amazing how quickly they start acting like teenagers. I shuddered at the thought of Olivia becoming a sullen, withdrawn teen and reassured myself that she was just sleep-deprived and anxious to get home, then moved on with my day. I spent the rest of the day working around the house, and while I was outside covering my patio furniture, I noticed a couple of my neighbours setting up their Christmas decorations early, while the weather was still good. I'd offered to host Christmas that year, so decided my neighbours were smart to take advantage of warm weather and headed to Home Depot to pick up some lights to string around. Once I was at the store, I suckered myself into buying a massive inflatable snowman head with a projected face that told jokes because I knew Olivia would love it. Then I convinced myself that the snowman needed a talking tree friend so it didn't have to perform its routine alone. So I loaded up my truck with Mr. Chill and Woody the Talking Tree and headed home to bring the comedy duo to life. I started with hanging the lights along my roof line, knowing it would be the hardest and the most time-consuming task. Then by the time I was done cursing and narrowly avoiding stapling my hand to my house, the sun had started to set. I'm a completionist, so I decided to push through and finish decorating despite the dwindling sunlight. I started with Woody because he didn't require much to assemble, and so he was wiggling around on my front lawn in no time at all. Mr. Chill was a little more labour-intensive, because I had to stake him to the ground before blowing up his balloon-like body, and then had to set up the internal projector to cast his face. I left him to inflate as I wrangled enough extension cords to stretch from the exterior plug to his new home in the front yard, then plugged in the projector mechanism to test it before I put in the effort to install it in Mr. Chill's precarious body. The small box put out a surprisingly powerful beam of light, and I flipped through the different options to pick the vibe for the night. I decided to leave his comedy routine for closer to Christmas, and landed on a setting that rotated between colours to turn Mr. Chill into something that resembled an accessory from my rave days. I awkwardly rolled Mr. Chill onto his side to reveal the opening for the projector box and said a silent apology to my neighbours as the colourful ray of light bounced off their first floor windows as I struggled to secure it in place. I was having a hell of a time getting the projector attached and so pulled it out to readjust the stakes that held the body to the ground. The light switched from green to red as I was setting it on the ground and just before it changed I noticed it reflecting off of something as it moved high up and near my house. I looked up, but as soon as the light was red it disappeared, and so I unplugged the projector so I could see better without the glare of the light. I assumed it had been one of the possums coming out to wreak havoc on my house, but I couldn't see anything out of the ordinary. Assuming I'd just seen the shadow of a tree branch or something, I plugged the projector back in and went back to work on the ropes that tethered Mr. Chill to the ground. When I was satisfied that the ropes were in a better position, I stood upright 
and just as I did, the light switched from green to red. Once again I caught something in my upper peripheral vision, just before the colour switched, and so I grabbed the box to switch it back. I clicked through the options until it landed on a permanent stream of green, and then looked towards the second floor of my house, where I'd seen something moving before the light had changed. There wasn't anything hanging from the roof or nearby trees, so I tilted the beam up towards my bedroom, and a tiny clawed foot appeared just below the window as the light hit it. The foot didn't appear to be attached to anything, as the unlit space above the stream was empty, but the claws contracted as they hovered in the green light, which startled me so much I dropped the projector. The impact knocked the batteries out of the casing, which caused the light to shut off, and I prayed it wasn't broken as I shoved them back into the base and closed the hatch to secure them. I flipped the machine back on, and the red light flooded the lawn below. I pushed the button to rotate through the options until it returned to solid green. Then I raised it with shaking hands and trained it toward my bedroom before I could lose my nerve. As it hit the area just outside my window, a line of twenty or so creatures appeared. They were facing the window and hovered in bustling clusters, attempting to knock each other out of the way so they could see inside my house. They were around two or three feet tall and had round bodies covered in slick skin that was stretched so tight it looked uncomfortable. Four thin limbs dangled in the air below them, and the claws at the end of their extended paws were so long they glistened as the light hit them. Their heads were hairless globes with no discernible eyes or nose, and their lipless mouths moved constantly as if communicating, but their speech was as imperceptible as their bodies had been before the green light had revealed them. They only had two or three teeth in their mouths, but they were as long and sharp as their claws, and their tube-like tongues would dart between them, occasionally to suck at the air around them. I moved the beam to Terry's house and gasped as it exposed hundreds of the creatures hovering in the air surrounding it, concentrated in areas where the windows were. The group around my neighbor's house had grown so large the creatures at the edge struggled to get close enough to the house to see inside, and I watched, horrified, as several broke off and flew across the yard to my house where they could get a better view. I turned toward my neighbour on the other side, and so many had assembled around her house, I could barely see it through their taut, writhing bodies. Reluctantly, I swung the beam up toward the sky, and just before I lost consciousness, my green light illuminated a steady stream of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of them, descending in a never-ending procession from the winter clouds above. They were everywhere. Hordes of monstrous cherubs filled the sky above me as they floated towards Earth, their eager tongues and mouths working tirelessly on the fronts of their faces. As I watched, hypnotized by the mechanics of their damp cavities, I realized I could hear them as they called out to each other. The words passed between them and then back and up the line to the creatures still out of view in a horrible game of telephone. The breeze 
caught the words and carried them to where I stood, devastated and alone in my knowledge of their existence. Come see. They called to each other in a dreadful chorus. Come see. Instagram at please leave pod. Our email is please leave pod at gmail.com. 